Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Dissenter. I'm your host, Ricardo Lopes, and today I'm joined by Dr. Erika Vandeval. She's professor of primatology at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland. She is also director of the Inkangu Vervet Project at the Manawa Game Reserve in South Africa an experiment field site with a study population of over 200 wild vervet monkeys. And she's also a Branko Weiss Fellow of the Society in Science at the University of Zurich. She is interested in the evolution of primate social behaviors with the main focus on cultural transmission and cognition. So Dr. Van der Waal, thank you a lot for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you <laughs> for the invitation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so let's see. It's very interesting that you study culture and cultural transmission in animals apart from humans, because I guess that most people, uh, it must be a, a, a somewhat difficult for them to think how other animals might also have culture. So, I, I mean, uh, I've already talked with the, uh, about this with people like, for example, Dr. Robert Boyd and Dr. Peter Richardson, that is culture as a biological phenomenon. But could you tell us what is culture from that perspective? So I like a definition uh, that is very simple from, from a primatologist, uh, Bill McGrew, who says that culture is the way we do things here. So just like why, for example, here in, in Switzerland, I eat with a fork and a knife. And if I go to Japan, someone will, will, uh, will eat with chopped sticks. And, and so uh, it's a, a very simple um, definition. Of course, it, it, it relies on, on, on mechanism. And so there, there is um, a good definition uh, from uh, Fragazi and Perry who are also primatologists, and they define tradition as a distinctive behavioral pattern shared by two or more individuals in a social unit, which persists over time, and that new practitioner acquire in part through socially aided learning. So it's quite complicated, but this just means that it's, it's a behavior that uh, individuals um, learn from other group members, and that, that is carried on over time. And so they define this as tradition. And then some primatologists think that you need multiple traditions to have a culture in a species. Um, so, so that, uh, for example, Whiten says that the matrix of tradition built by previous generation and inherited by social learning, this is what is uh, culture. And so for me, I think that we can use tradition and culture in the in more or less similar uh, way, because for me, a tradition um, is a behavior that is culturally transmitted. So I would say, why be so difficult with many definitions and just take culture as the way we do things here? <laughs> <laughs> Right. And it, uh, I mean, it's the way we do things, but of course, it doesn't include all sorts of, of uh, behaviors, let's say, because I mean, there are some behaviors uh, that are not 
cultural or that we do not study as culture. I mean, at a certain point there you refer to the fact that uh, it has to correspond to a set of behaviors that get transmitted from uh, uh, from one individual to another. That, uh, so it is always a social phenomenon. It can't be a strictly individual thing, correct? Yeah, so, so individuals can innovate, but for it, for this new behavior to become uh, cultural, it has to be transmitted to others and persist over time. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it can start with one individual, but it doesn't become a culture if, if no one picks it up. But you have some strange example in, in primatology, for example, there was in, in a captive group, uh, a chimpanzee who started to put a, a piece of brass in the ear in, in a group, and then others did the same, and you had a whole group of chimpanzee walking around with a, a piece of brass in the ear. So it doesn't have to be um, to have like a, a function. It can be really arbitrary behavior that is transmitted socially. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it has a biological basis because it depends on other aspects of a particular species, psychology and behaviors, starting perhaps from their sociality and the way they establish relationships among them, that is, individuals of a certain species, how they relate to one another, correct? Yes, yeah, so of course, they have to observe each other uh, to to copy what another individual is doing. And if they have this ability, it means that on their daily life, it's something important to learn from other group members. Otherwise, they wouldn't have this cognitive uh, ability. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what are the parts of cognition that we have to study in order to better understand how information gets transmitted from one individual to another and how it disseminates perhaps in a group of individuals of a particular species? Um, so for this, we, we try to understand uh, to the mechanism, like what do they do they copy and and there there are plenty definition of, of different social learning mechanisms but it can be very simple like just being attracted to an area like where there is new food and then discover this food just because others are going there to very high level uh, 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 social learning mechanisms that, that are like imitation or emulation where they really copy the action in details or they copy the end goal uh, of an individual. And it's often very hard to really know which precise mechanism is involved. And I prefer to see it as a continuum of like low level uh, mechanism to high uh, level ones. And, and But there might be multiple mechanisms as they are currently defined involved when in a social learning event. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I mean, when I talk with uh, cultural evolutionists, particularly the ones that do work uh, on humans, they usually tell us about certain uh, communicative biases that we have and biases in terms of retaining information and looking to other people to obtain information. Like, for example, we have certain biases uh, to get information from 
from people who are of higher status and from our parents and from people of our own gender that are older than we are and, and perhaps also uh, certain biases related to the frequency of certain types of information like for example if certain types of information are very widespread in the population if they are very popular we also tend to acquire them so do we do we also get those sorts of biases in other primates apart from humans yeah so it's very interesting so at the start i was very interested in the question do they learn socially but the more and more with my experiment i realized that i'm actually more interested in 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 why and when and from who so more than the function and it really seems that um that depending who we in my experiment i train as a model the knowledge will spread or not for example um and and so the first experiment i designed for my phd that where i wanted really to test the mechanism actually i did the box wrong i couldn't test anything of the mechanism but i had interestingly in some group uh the the boldest individual was the dominant female and in some group it was a dominant male and so and so then i saw that actually they copied the site to open demonstrated only when it was the dominant female which in the species that I'm studying, vervet monkeys, it makes sense because the females are the philopatric sex. So they are the one that stay their whole life within their group. And so they know more about uh, feeding resources. And so as all our experiment, we need to put food inside for the monkeys to come and manipulate. It's normal that uh, the monkeys thought, okay, it's about eating, then the females know best um, uh, what to do. Um, and then we did some other experiment to try to see if uh, if rank had a big influence uh, because in some species high-ranking individuals are more copied, but it didn't seem to be the case um, uh, for vermin monkeys. But there are some examples in chimpanzee where it might be important there. So it really seems to vary from one species to a to a, another. But then um, concerning frequency, uh, it's very hard to test in field experiment uh, if it's really frequency that, that changes the behavior. So I've done one experiment uh, with uh, colored food where I trained the whole group to prefer pink or blue uh, corn. And, um, and then I could test the, um, the next generation of infants and they all uh, learned the, the norm because then the food was both tasting the same of which color to eat. But this can just rely by the fact that if they copy their mother, they, they were learning this. So nothing to do with the fact the whole group was eating. But then we had male dispersing across our groups and they adapted to the new, uh, the color of their new group. And even if they had learned that the blue tasted really bad, we put a bitter aloe in the, in the color to train them. They enter a group and directly they see everyone eating blue and they say, oh, okay, here we eat blue. And so here for us, we, we define it as conformity, but by uh, conformity of abandoning your own preference for the one of the group. But then we don't know if they really copy the majority of individuals, what uh, most uh, evolutionary uh, uh, biologists or psychologists will say that is really a conformity, or if they copy the number of action because also more individuals were eating. So it's very hard to disentangle with field experiments if it's a proper uh, frequency uh, bias. 
But then for the content bias, we've just done an, an experiment. Um, we wanted to see if, so we found this preference for copying females in, in vervet monkeys. But we wanted to know now, okay, if the dominant male gets five times more food out of the same box uh, on the other side than the dominant female, will they then go over the fact of copying females because there is this payoff uh, uh, bias. And what was interesting is that um, we found that males would copy the dominant uh, male and go to the side with more reward, but that females will be totally conservative and carry on uh, copying the female side, even in, if in this context it wasn't uh, uh, the good strategy because they would get le less food uh, out of it. So it seems to be really complex that multiple social learning rules are interacting um, one with each other and really depending on the ecology of the species um, and the context, then, then they will uh, follow one or, or the other. Mm -hmm. And you were, you were just referring to content biases. Is it the case that uh, <coughs> other species also tend to pay more attention to the behaviors that others are exhibiting if they are related to certain uh, evolutionary relevant problems that they have to solve, like getting food or mating or something like that. And perhaps if someone is doing something that is not really relevant to solve any of those problems, perhaps they ignore them more easily. Does that happen? Yeah, so the experiment we managed to do nearly all involve food because otherwise they don't participate so that's something uh, a bias that we are introducing as researcher because it's really hard to um uh to otherwise get them to to do something <laughs> and to to do an experimental uh, uh set up and so i guess there we are we are introducing a uh, a, a big bias, but what we try also to look at is um, natural variation in behavior between neighboring groups. So I'm studying six groups of the same population, and um, and at the moment we are just gathering more and more data to really try to see um, if they they do things differently for really arbitrary behavior like uh, like the way they call or the gesture they do when they groom each other. Um, and so not, not only related to food, uh, but uh, also the way juveniles play or like all social behavior to see if we find differences uh, on that, that level. And, and then I guess it would be even more important for their social life, like to, to behave socially in a similar way than, than to choose the exact same food or to manipulate the food in the same way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are some of the most prominent models of primates that, where we've already studied a culture and cultural transmission? I mean, people tend to focus perhaps a lot on the great apes because they are the ones that are the closest to us. That is the gorilla, the orangutan, the chimpanzee and the bonobo. But you also talk about vervet monkeys. So uh, what are the... Uh, species where we've already found culture. Yeah, so it all started with a, a study on chimpanzee, uh, where uh, Andy Whiten um, uh, like asked 
all the big all the big research sites, long-term research sites, to if they wanted to collaborate to try to see the differences across those those populations, and they found really a, a lot of uh, of behavior over thirty that were um, different uh, and couldn't be didn't seem easily explained just by the ecology or uh, or by genetics. Um, and then later on, P other researchers have done it uh, on orangutans, then uh, on spider monkeys, they have been also shown, and then uh, recently on gorillas. Um, and then uh, for monkeys, capuchin monkeys, they also listed a lot of, uh, of behavioral variation across, across groups. And I've recently uh, tried to tackle this question uh, on vermin monkeys, but of course to really um, know if a behavior is cultural, then ideally you would need um, different generations uh, and, and that the behavior is kept so that it's not just linked to the group composition of the moment, which could also influence uh, a behavior. Um, and then what is good with our site is that the groups overlap one with each other. Um, and so the ecology is very similar because some of the examples of the chimpanzee where they thought it was cultural uh, and actually it was uh, just due to the fact, for example, that some ant species were more aggressive than others. So the lengths of the grass they were using to, to get them uh, were, were not cultural, they were just actually functional to avoid being uh, beaten by the by, by, by the end, so it's very hard to totally rule out the ecology. So that's why we also take the approach of, of doing experiments, uh, because then of course you can control uh, uh, the factors and really try to see if... The, so now we know they have the abilities to learn socially very well, the vervets, but we still have to understand how do they really use it in their daily, daily life. Mm -hmm. And is it easy to establish a biological continuity between species of primates? That is, for example, we have our evolutionary branch, let's say, and we know that there are species of primates that diverged from it earlier in evolutionary history and others later and that are closer to us. Is, is it the case that we tend to find that, uh, that uh, species which diverged earlier uh, tend to have uh, less uh, cognitive tools to create culture and perhaps the closest to us have more of those tools or, or not really that way? Um, I think it's still a field where we need to discover uh, uh, a lot, and and it seems that uh, that the great apes, uh, especially the chimpanzee, have really uh, a larger uh, array of behavioral uh, variant that could be cultural than than other species, so which tend to make sense. Uh, but then it also seems to differ quite a bit with the the social structure. Um, uh, of the group and um, and and in groups where uh, individuals are tolerated really close, like in capuchins, you also see that a, a quite small brain, new world monkey also has a lot of uh, cultural variation across groups. So so it doesn't seem to be only the the size of the brain and being closely related to humans that has an impact. But also the, the the social unit and and all the 
all the primates have been also evolving since the time they split off from the human ancestor. So depending on their environment, they were also pushed maybe to to develop uh, more skills to learn socially from, from each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we are trying to establish a comparison between humans and other primates, uh, perhaps we have to look to certain types of primates when studying certain specific traits and to others to study others because i mean we have uh, we have differences and similarities with chimpanzees gorillas and even uh, other more distant more distant uh, primates right so we have to go uh, step by step and case by case when comparing ourselves with other primates right Yes, yeah, so we, we can, like, ideally we would study all primate species and then see the different similarities, but as it's not possible logistically, then focus on some depending on the, on the question. Like, for example, uh, a good example is like when uh, individuals are interested in, in cooperative breeding, uh, then actually uh, marmosets who are really far from, from us, from South America, they are a great example of uh, biparental care. Like they always get twins, and then the 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 male there there is only one male uh, that reproduces in the group and one female, and they both will carry an infant. And and they are very tolerant, and there is a lot of social learning also going on in in such a species. So then it's really uh, linked to to the question that we we are looking. Uh, mm -hmm. Right, and uh, since. Uh, one of the aspects that you referred to that is really important for individuals of a certain species to be able to develop and acquire culture is that they are able to learn from others. Is it the case that uh, in all species that show some sort of cultural behavior, they have to have a theory of mind uh, develop, uh, uh, developed at least to a certain extent, even though it is not as evolved as it is in humans, for example? That's a good question. <laughs> and I think it's, we still don't really know. It also de depends again on the definition that we, we give of theory of mind. Um, and for example, I did find what is defined imitation uh, in, in some captive verbs where we gave them a task of a little tube uh, that had to be uh, open and we trained the individuals to open it with the hands or with the mouse and then they copied this. And then so that um, from the literature is something that is, uh, requires uh, high cognitive abilities. But then at the same time, uh, uh, neuroscientists will say that there are some mirror neurons that makes you imitate without really realizing. And, and I have uh, young children and they will very quickly imitate uh, you when you do different facial expressions. And, uh, and I don't think that they are aware of uh, who they are yet and what they are doing. So, so I think there are really different le levels. Um, and so, of course, if we think of emulation, so really goal-orientated uh, copying, like uh, uh, that you want to achieve the same goal as someone else, then that might be very 
uh, cognitively demanding, but to imitate um, uh, uh, body action might be actually uh, something very innate and that occurs without realizing that you're doing it. And even through simple um, social learning mechanism, you can get a group to behave all in the same way. Um, so I don't think that that you really need a uh, theory of mind to uh, to be able to to keep on a tradition uh, in a group. Uh, but then for if tradition keep on the long run, they also need to be effective and useful because otherwise they get lost. And I get I guess that's why uh, the species that show a really uh, long-term traditions are the one that tend to have larger brains uh, because then they can innovate important behavior and that are kept on uh, over time. Mm -hmm. Yes, perhaps this is a bit of an anthropomorphic approach when we think that uh, as we do other species for them to be able to imitate one another and things like that they would have to be able to think about what is in the mind of the other individual and perhaps to try to predict their behavior and their intentions and things like that. But what you're saying is that perhaps uh, that might not be uh, strictly necessary. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And for example, there is a, a paper who recently came out about um, uh, mating conformity in fruit flies <laughs> and so like uh, it seems that even very uh, small insects could have the ability of uh, of uh, choosing the same as what the majority of others are choosing that was the color of the of the, the mating partner um, and so yeah it, it seems that some mechanism of, of, of learning socially are, are are there since a very long time and and I think in in all group living uh, animals it might be really important to to learn from others for their survival and that might really not require uh, very high uh, cognitive uh, abilities. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's interesting because I've already had a couple of conversations with people who do work in in embodied cognition and they also refer to the example of ants that they seem to have very complex social behaviors but then when we really look into it they're just following concentrations of pheromones in the air or something like that and they create very complex behaviors out of patterns that they are they are not really conscious of what yeah. they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we always think of the way that we are dealing with uh, learning socially with the fact that we think about what the other are doing and is it a good thing or not, but there might be uh, very different ways for other animals to solve the same problems. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Okay, and are there any primate species where we've already encountered uh, teaching behavior. That is, an individual, for example, an older individual, individual uh, intentionally teaching uh, another one how to do something. 
So there are some anecdotes, uh, for example, of chimpanzee like taking the hand of a young one like while cracking cracking nuts, but it stays really rare. Most of the time, it's just allowing others to observe closely or to use the tools, uh, uh, like to let them use the same anvil and the same stone for the nuts cracking, for for example. And I think that. The best example of teaching is still out of, of privates and it stays with uh, with meerkats uh, where um, they they eat the scorpions which can be of course uh, very dangerous uh, uh, for the, the individual eating it <laughs> and so they the apparently the the young ones, are begging for for food and so uh, the the adults that will provide either the parents or helpers they have a very interesting uh, cooperative breeding society they they, they will bring uh, a prey uh, to the pups and and slowly bring them live prey but at different stage so they will remove the dangerous tail at the start and and slowly uh, like uh, introduce them uh, until the full uh, scorpion and so and it, apparently they really know which young is at what stage and will bring the correct <laughs> the, 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 like the prey with the the, the, the correct dangerosity at the good time um, so there for me that's a, a really an example of um, of, of teaching uh, because it's really adapting to the level of the learner. Um, whereas the and and in primates, it's it, I, I just know about those those example and and otherwise it's like for example I, I never saw a vervet monkey like in one of my experiment uh, like a mother telling the like showing to her offspring that's how to do uh, like taking the hands or something or if the 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 the, the children was trying to eat the wrong like the other color of food the mother would not remove the the hand like would let the the young one try um uh, i guess it might be different with like poisonous uh, species but uh, interestingly it seems that for the wild food, the infant really just try what the mother uh, or the other group members are eating, and and so they they don't they won't try a new species on 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 their own. And I think with our experimental setup, it's a bit different because we provide a lot of food right in front of them, um, and so then they dare to to try our human food. But for the wild uh, food, they they really seem to. Uh, to to learning over their first year by just eating what what their mother is and staying always in proximity. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in other primate species, when we find certain individuals uh, learning from others, it is from their own initiative that they observe others' behaviors and try to perhaps uh, copy them, to imitate them, to emulate them, and to try them by themselves. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think a, a big difference of, of human uh, is the the fact that we actively teach uh, and the fact that, that we do it through language. And and I think this really made a big step in 
in our abilities to 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 learn socially and and that it get to the scope of uh, of cumulative culture uh, that always gets more and more complex from one generation uh, to another. Yes, that's interesting because there aren't really any other primate species that have language, right? Some of them, they have communicative calls, but that's not really language, right? So they, they have uh, many distinctive calls that they use in different contexts. For example, the vervets that I'm studying are very well known for their alarm calling behavior. And so if they do a, a snake alarm call, they will all stand up and first look at the caller to see where the caller is looking to know where the, the snake is. Uh, and all uh, stand still, but if, if uh, one is calling for eagle, they will all run for cover, like go down the tree if they're on the top, or like run in, inside the bush if, if they were in an open area. Um, so they really uh, have um, calls that, that, that have a, a meaning and that they really know how to uh, use. And it's, it's nice to see juveniles because they, they will do an alarm call for raptor even when it's uh, it's uh, a bird that is really not dangerous, like an ibis flying by, when they are so the the reaction of being scared and calling seems to be quite innate. But then they have to learn to which species they have to <laughs> to do it or 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 not. And so we've done some interesting experiments there with fake predators and and changing the audience next to a juvenile. And so if if there is the mother next, then then they will not call. They will observe their mother and see if they have to call or not. But if they are on their own or with other juveniles, uh, they will be always scared of the the, the model, uh, even if it's not a, a dangerous bird. But they will call just uh, uh, because they don't. They are not sure, and so they have no one to refer to to learn if it's a dangerous thing or 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 not. But then. They have calls also to greet um, each other, and and they have calls when they get lost, and they have uh, calls around aggressive behavior uh, when they aggress or or when they are victims, and and these calls can can vary a bit, but they don't like combine many calls. So there are some examples of of species of primate combining two calls. Uh, to say uh, like the the type of predator and if it's close by or not that's what researchers thought the, the, that was the meaning of it but they, they don't do like sentences like, like we do uh, they don't like uh, bond through talking to each other it's really for me instead of uh, of uh, talking to someone saying hi how are you what they do is they will approach and start grooming grooming is really the way they do social bonds and I think we have changed this to to talking, which has maybe some benefit and some disadvantages as well. <laughs> right. That's very interesting. And at a certain point there, you refer to the fact that there are certain primate species that 
sort of have to learn which animals they should fear and wouldn't a good example of that be the one that comes from chimpanzees I think where they seem to have an innate predisposition to fear snakes but they only show a fearful reaction to them after they've seen another individual uh, for example looking at the snake and also having that fearful reaction isn't that another good example yeah yeah that's another good example and also in chimpanzee there are some nice uh, experiment where um, a chimpanzee on its own that has seen a snake will not call and they will call only when when another chimp who is naive and hasn't seen the snake is approaching so really knowing who knows that there is a snake or or are not so yeah there are um, uh, some some really uh, good examples that it's really to communicate to others that they won't do it if it's not needed uh, to call mm -hmm. Okay, so you've already referred to, during the interview, to a lot of behaviors coming from vervet monkeys, but since it is one of the primates that you're most interested in, could you tell us what are the sorts of behaviors that you study the most in vervet monkeys? So I'm doing uh, field experiments, so which is still something a bit rare in, in, in primatology. Uh, so most people do experiments in captivity and do observations in the field. And then if they do experiment in the field, it's often uh, playback, so uh, playing back a call or bringing a fake predator, but there are little field sites where we are able to bring them food and manipulate things uh, with food. And so that's why I, I've chosen to work on vervet monkeys is because they're considered as a pest species uh, in South Africa, which means that they are very, uh, they're not endangered like most other primates. Uh, and so we are, uh, we get ethical permission to manipulate a bit more their behavior than what we could do on, uh, on other species. Um, and so they are small uh, old world monkeys. So from Africa and, and Asia, they are in the same family than uh, uh, baboons or, or macaques. Um, and they are quite s small for primates. So it's like uh, four kilos for a female, six kilos for a male. So like a big, a big cat. <laughs> and. Uh, and they have social groups uh, that are, for me, really interesting because like in, in primates, you have all types of social units. You have uh, some species where it's just a couple with their offspring, somewhere it's like a harem. But in vervet monkeys, it's a nice uh, mixed social unit. So um, it's uh, based around the matriline. So it's a mother and their offsprings. And then males, when they reach sexual maturity, they will disperse to other groups. Uh, but they and they do this multiple times throughout their life. So they don't do just one dispersal. They do really many dispersal. Um, uh, and also males tolerate each other within the same group. So in a group, you have multiple adult males, adult females, and and juveniles. Which means that to see uh, information transfer, it's really uh, a big group with uh, with all kind of uh, of individuals to see who they learn from and and who is more uh, going with individual learning and who is learning socially uh, more 
Um, and then the group size can vary, really vary. Uh, at, um, at my field site, we have some groups that are over 50 individuals. And then the smaller units have four individuals. It's a, a group that actually split off when, when a group becomes really too big for the resource. Then there are smaller units that fission uh, uh, out uh, out of it and try to start their own group. And some of them survive, so some uh, don't. Um, and so I do field different field experiments, mainly on the topic of, of cognition and social learning uh, with the, the vervet monkeys. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you say that you do field experiments and also that you refer to the fact that perhaps in primatology that is not really prevalent because isn't it also the case that we have to take into account that if we're studying animals in their natural environments perhaps there they will exhibit some behaviors that we, we will not get exactly the same in the laboratory. Yes, and I think that's uh, like a uh, part of the start of, of all my research is, is like, do we really know anything about cognitive abilities of primates? Because like those three chimpanzees that are uh, in a lab or in a zoo and have been tested on hundreds of experiments, like, are they really the average <laughs> chimpanzee? Um, and so I'm also doing some experiments, uh, both in a, in a sanct in sanctuaries in South Africa with captive vervets and uh, uh, to really compare them to the to the wild uh, uh, population. And and I think that captive one do exhibit uh, in most cases uh, higher cognitive abilities. Uh, and it might just be due to the fact that they have a bit nothing else to do <laughs> than to watch what, like for social learning, that then to look at what others are doing and to try to play with the same little box or uh, then that we are offering. And and in the wild, and of course, they have to to find their their food. We are bringing them food, but it's not. It's really very small reward that we put in our experiment. They cannot live out of the food that we are bringing, and they have to uh, be aware of predators and they have to move around their home range, defend for neighbors. So they have plenty of other things uh, to do, and so. I'm currently doing some some experiment where I'm I'm trying to bring touchscreen technology to, to the field and to to use also the same touchscreens uh, with captive vervets and I'm really interested to see because my prediction would be that for um, the the basic uh, uh, cognitive task that uh, we will run that captive one should be better like just that associative learning and reversal learning. But then we also want to do some tasks that are more linked to uh, to social cognition. And there I would expect, depending on the question, that the, the wild ones would be better because they they are in their natural group and that is stable over time compared to the captive one in sanctuaries. It's like individuals are brought in and out and they don't have like really the links, uh, the natural links that the, the other ones have in the, in the wild. So I really want to understand like, uh, what abilities uh, do wild ones perform better 
in and which one uh, like most of them i guess the captive one will be better but from for some tasks i expect the wild ones to to be better mm -hmm. and particularly for the ones that we study in the lab isn't it also the case that for us to obtain certain behaviors for from them we have to condition them to perform certain tasks and then by doing so and doing so uh, throughout a long period of time that perhaps they get certain parts of their cognition overstimulated in comparison with their natural counterparts, let's say, and perhaps they would develop them more than the ones that live in the wild, for example. Yeah, I think this is uh, totally uh, uh, possible, but uh, very hard to, to really test uh, if it's the, uh, the, the, the case of not, but for sure they have more opportunities and more time uh, to reflect on the on, on the task than the, 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 the wild ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, and since we're talking about vervet monkeys now, uh, I would like to ask you a specific question about a paper that you published back in 2010 with the title Selective Attention to Philopatric Models Causes Directed Social Learning in Wild Vervet Monkeys. So, uh, in this case, what did you study exactly? And f first, before we really get into the study, uh, could you explain the concept of male and female philopatry? What it is about, really? So, philopatry is the, the fact that one sex, or both, but usually one sex of the species stays in the group uh, where it was born and that the others sex disperse and and this is a mechanism to avoid inbreeding uh, in most primate species um, and in vervet monkeys it's uh, the female who stay in their their natal group and the males will disperse when they reach sexual maturity but for example if you take a chimpanzee group then it's the opposite it's uh, it's male who will stay always in the group where they were born and females who disperse so uh, but um, uh, in, in our case, the, the females are the ones that stay. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so in the case of vervet monkeys, they have female philopatry. In what ways does that change the ways by which males and females acquire information or learn from uh, the members of their own sex and the ones of the opposite sex? Yeah, so in, in this experiment that you're uh, referring in the paper, so we had a little box uh, that had a, a white end and a black end uh, to be easily de uh, distinguished from all the monkeys observing the, the, the model. So uh, we, we, set, we chose one model per group to, that we trained and we didn't really chose, we just let the one that is monopolizing it because we are like if you do it in captivity of course you can isolate a group member and train it to the task we cannot so we just bring the task to the field and see uh which monkey is coming repeatedly and trying to monopolize it and so then um uh we now even we developed some boxes now that we can control with remote control but at the time of this paper it was just we blocked one end uh, of the box and and so that the, the dominant female who was always coming, she could always open from the white side, for example. 
And then we let that individual first figure out how to open. So we go step by step. So if it's a sliding door, it's first totally opened and slowly closed. And then once the monkey is doing the correct movement, we let it uh, demonstrate, uh, I think in the case of that experiment, was it 25 times or 50? Depending on the experiment, we do different numbers of demonstration. But the aim is to have at least two-thirds of the group uh, uh, observing the, uh, the, the, the task before we offer multiple boxes uh, with both sides unlocked. And then we want to see uh, which, do they copy the site demonstrated um, or not. In the case of that experiment, we had in three groups, it was the dominant female showing the task, and in three groups, it was uh, dominant males. And in the groups with the dominant females, they, they did copy the site uh, to open. And in the group with dominant males, they went randomly to one site or another. And there were also, uh, we had less participants uh, going, so they seemed to be less interested in the task. And so that's uh, when we developed this uh, theory that maybe the fact that um, the, the, the model is a, is a female, it, it's really more important for the group. Uh, because it's females who know uh, more about uh, resource and the home range, and they might be a preferred model for a, a feeding task in in vervet monkeys. Mm -hmm. So we get some sort of social conformity there that comes from the females because they are part of the same group throughout their entire lives and males from other groups arrive there and when they do so, I mean, the ones that have the information about perhaps the resources and other types of issues about the place where they live, it is retained by the females. Is that so? Yeah, so that's what the theory that we are developing. And so now we have eight years of data at the Incavuvered project of males tenure within groups, and they seem on average to stay less than a year uh, in a group. Uh, so which means that they really move a lot uh, around. So of course, every time they need the flexibility to integrate new groups and to learn where to to forage and, and where to pay attention for predators and stuff in their new home range. Whereas females, they seem to be the one that know how the things are done in the group and, and will pass it on to, from one generation uh, to the next. And that's what also came out of the experiment that was very similar to, to the one I just described, but where this time we manipulate the, the, the reward with males getting five times more food out of the, the same box than the dominant female. And there we saw that the females of the group were still conservative and copying the female, even if in the short term, in this experiment, it was not the good strategy. But uh, for them, maybe it's a lot more important to keep their bonds with other females and to behave like other females. Whereas the males in this experiment did manage to copy the successful dominant male who was getting five times more payoff out of, the, out of this experiment. And that might reflect really the flexibility that males need in this species to, um, to change groups so often and to integrate uh, different uh, environment and also different social uh, units. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just one last question. 
to be able to successfully develop and transmit culture in a particular species? Does it matter if the individuals of that species tend to be more tolerant to one another or if they tend to be more competitive or cooperative among them? Does that matter? I think it should matter. I, I think we still don't have enough experiment done on many species that are really similar experiments um, to properly answer the, the question. But from what we know, at least from uh, observations of different species, is that the species that are more tolerant, uh, there are more opportunities to, to observe in details what others are are, are doing and that's why many example of uh, social learning also come from uh, within the the family unit with uh, infants copying their mother because the mother will let the infant be on the, on the mother or really close by when the mother is doing something and then of course there is plenty opportunity for what we call peering so looking in in details into a, a behavior and then in, in species where individuals are, are less tolerant, then maybe it's just when the, the infants can learn from their mother, but then later on it's harder to learn from other group members. But if we want to, to see the kind of horizontal transmission, so learning from uh, others of the same age uh, or younger even, uh, and unrelated individuals, then it's uh, it's really important that individuals can can observe others so that the group is quite cohesive and and that there are opportunities to see what what others are doing mm -hmm. okay so dr van de Vol, just before we go uh, are there any good places on the internet if people want to learn a little bit more about your work so there is a website uh, of the University of uh, Lausanne uh, with a page on, on my research group, uh, like a Van de Waal group. If you type this in, you will, you will find it. And otherwise, there is a, a lovely website uh, done by a previous PhD student of mine uh, about the Inkabu Vervet project um, that can also be, be found, found online. Okay, so I will be leaving links to that, to all of that in the description box of the video. And so, Dr. Van de Vol, thank you a lot again for taking the time to come on the show. It was a really interesting conversation. With pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Hi guys, thank you a lot for watching this interview until the end. I'm recording a new ending just to let you know a couple of new things, but I mean I've started this channel in February 2018 and I've been putting out a lot of interviews with academics and intellectuals. So to keep the channel sustainable, I would really like to ask you to please visit my Patreon page and to consider making a pledge there. And if you don't like Patreon or prefer other platforms, you can also have you can also go to PayPal and subscribe from $1 to $20. I have all of those options in the description box of the video. And you can also make a one-time donation on PayPal. And also you can go to Subscribe Star uh, and 
pledges and, and the amount there so uh, you have all of those options to support the channel and so before i go i would like to give a huge thank you to my patrons karen litzke and blanchett perel galarsen lau guerrero chantel gelinas jim frank francis ford and frederick sunda brian rivera and i'm very proud of this my first producer isar webb thank you for all